Well, good morning and uh, happy Easter. When you're in school towards the end of a long semester and it's been a long class, and it's one of those classes that's kind of difficult and the teacher is one of those teachers who overwhelms you with facts and figures and formulas and information, and you're sitting in class, something pops into your head, a question forms in your mind. In fact, it forms usually in the heads of every other person in that classroom. You know what that question is? Is this going to be on the final Right. When they're saying they're lecturing and you hear them dumping loads of information, you want to know, is this truly important? Do I have to know this down pat or is it something I can kind of, you know, blow off or just sort of know, but I don't have to know it down pat? Your question is, is this going to be on the final? You know, I think sometimes it's like that spiritually. There's a lot of talking and writing and thinking about spiritual things in our world in this day. Maybe you've heard some of it or read some of it. Maybe you've thought some of these things. You thought about spiritual matters quite a bit. And all the talking and thinking and writing centers on questions like this. Is there a God? And if there is, um, what does he want me to do? Um, if there is a God, how do we know what he's like? What's the purpose and meaning of life? What happens after we die? If there's a heaven, how do we get there? Questions like that. And all this talking and thinking and writing can be confusing because we hear different answers, right, from different religions and different spiritual leaders. And at some point, all this discussion can be interesting, but at some point in your life, perhaps when you run into a wall or a crisis or, or you just sense this, this deep boredom with life or, or you're struggling and maybe it's towards the end of your life and you're going to ask the question, what's most important? What's this all about? In other words, what's going to be on the final? I want to start by reading from a letter written by the Apostle Paul a long time ago. He wrote it to a group of Christians, a church in Corinth, which is in present day Greece. He writes this in chapter 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he appeared to Peter and to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and the sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. And last of all, he also appeared to me. Now, in those days, we need to understand that more than 90 percent of the audience would have been illiterate. They so they wouldn't have read a letter like we do. They wouldn't have had a copy either because it would have been handwritten. They didn't have Xerox. And so what would have happened is somebody would have been standing in front of this church, this audience with this letter And they would have read it out loud, word by word. And it's a long letter, 16 chapters. And by the point we get to uh, chapter 15, the passage we just read, people would have probably been listening to this letter being read out loud for about an hour. And by the time somebody's been talking that long, something tends to happen in most crowds. Do you know what that is? How many of you ever find your mind wandering when somebody's talking? How many of you missed that question? (laughs) Just kidding. So Paul knows this kind of thing could be going on. So he says something here in his letter. In essence, saying, people, okay, you've been listening for a long time. You've been reading for a long time. It's chapter 15. A lot of good stuff in this letter. Important for you. A lot of great things in the scriptures. But he says, listen up now. If you want to pass the final, you've got to know this. And he says, this is the first most importance. Christ died for our sins. Christ was buried. Christ was raised on the third day. It's simple, right? But just because it's simple doesn't mean it's not important. It's not profound. 
And so this morning I want to talk about what's of first most importance in the Christian faith. Two foundational truths that we celebrate this weekend. The truth of Good Friday and the crucifixion and the truth of Easter morning and the resurrection. And then I'm going to ask you to, to ask yourself, where do you stand in relation to these two foundational truths? Because I believe with all my heart that these are the most important things that we need to know and embrace and believe when Christ returns or when we die, whichever comes first. The first thing that Paul says is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried. I ask you to take a look at this uh, cover of Time magazine. It's from April of 2004, and I think you can see there's a picture of uh, some artist's depiction of Jesus and this big, bold letters, the question, why did Jesus have to die? And inside there's this long article with uh, different scholars and, and skeptics uh, going through this question, debating this question, why did Jesus have to die? And for Paul, there is simply one answer. He died for our sins, right? He, he died because we lived in a messed up world and because our choices individually and corporately contribute to that messed up world. You know, for me, the irony is on this cover is that there are two other headlines. You, you probably can't see them in the blues slashed up there. One of them says horror in Fallujah. It's about hostility and a brutal murder and beating in Iraq. The other headline is Confessions of a Tycho Juror. It's about a juror who was bought and paid for by two Tycho executives who were on uh, trial for greed and corruption. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, the, the answer is on the cover of Time magazine. For our sins. For my sins. For your sins. Now, before you dismiss this and say, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm not violent or greedy or corrupt. I'm, my sins aren't on the cover of Time magazine. I think that's great. But I'm going to ask you to think about it this way. I want to use an old illustration to illustrate a profound truth. I want you to imagine that this is, here is the edge of a cliff. And I'm standing here, you're standing here with me, and straight down. And at the back of the wall, there's another cliff. And on that side, that cliff is, is God. And there's this vast chasm between us. Nothing but a, a bottomless pit. It's around 65, 70 feet. And we have no way to get over there. All we are is our physical bodies. We can't get over there. We can't jump. We can't climb. We can't fly. It's just us. It's impossible to get to the other side. And the Bible tells us that that gap is caused by sin. And the gap between us and God is infinitely greater than 70 feet. It's as wide as the universe. And then some, because... We're also told in the Bible that God is holy and he's perfect in every sense. And so we're separated from him for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, Paul writes. But the good news is that God has not created us to be separated from him forever. The good news is that God created us to be with him and to know him and to love him, to live with him and for him and for us to know and experience his love. And yet there's this gap. How do we get across it? Well, for thousands of years, the human race has been trying to bridge that gap, which is really at the heart of most religions. People saying, I'm going to try to bridge that gap by, between God and me by doing good things, by being a good person, by being better than most, by being, living a good life, by being generous and kind and compassionate, and so on and so forth, and giving. But the Bible tells us that won't work either. Use another illustration, a little more down home. Um, years ago, I grew up on a farm north of here, about 75 miles. And one of the things, believe it or not, that I liked doing 
was baling hay. And it's not like today where you have the big round bales and the machines. There's a lot of physical labor, manual labor involved. And if you, uh, if you ever are part of it, you know what I'm talking about. There would be a trailer with a, uh, behind a tractor and there, the baler would send the bales, these rectangular bales at you one after the other. And you and your partner had to grab them and stack them. They got higher and higher and heavier. And, and uh, it was a, I, I liked it because I was the youngest guy and I wanted to kind of try to prove myself, you know, with my older brother and my dad and, and the other farmhands. And at the end of the day, you would take those, uh, those trailers full of bales, you'd take them back to the barnyard, you'd put them in a the loft, right? I remember one particular time there were two trailers sitting in the, in the, in the yard, and they're about 12 feet apart. And I was probably 13-ish or so, and maybe 14, and, and I'm standing on top of one of the trailers, and I'm trying to impress these people, and I'm thinking, I'm young, I'm in good shape, I can long jump farther than that, easy peasy. And so I launched myself toward the other trailer, but I did not... Factor in the fact that I had like one or two steps. I didn't have a running start. Here's a picture of a portrayal of what it looked like, except it's not me and it's not, it's a round bale. So, and here's a portrayal of what happened. <laughs> Knocked the wind out of me. Knocked the wind out. Very embarrassing, very humiliating in front of the older, older guys. Um, but I, I could have tried all day long. I could have been the best athlete in the world. I never would have made that jump. Couldn't bridge that gap. And that's the history of the human race. If I give enough money, if I go to church enough, if I get enough religious information, if I involve enough charitable activities, I think maybe, I hope, I hope I can bridge that gap. But nobody ever has. And so God, because he loved us so much, he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He, he bridged that gap. He sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life and to die for our sins. And now we can get to God through Jesus. God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so in answer to the question on Time magazine from 2004, that's why he had to die. To make a way so that we could be where he is. So we could be in a relationship with him. So we could know that things are okay with us in him. And so we could be assured of being with him someday forever. According to the scriptures, Christ died for his sins. That'll be on the final, Paul says. And then Paul says there's a second foundational truth. Jesus didn't just die, but on the third day he was raised again. That's what we celebrate on Easter, right? On the third day, everything changed. Where everybody thought they were going to see and experience death, a rotting corpse, the stench of death, the women and the disciples... They find life and it shakes them up and it changes them and it changes the course of history. John Ortberg tells a story about a friend of his who was a denominational official uh, in Minnesota. And one of his jobs was he would go to these small, small towns where they didn't have a church or a pastor. And he would go there and as a service, he would, you know, he would do funerals. And the routine was like this. He would show up in the town and he and the undertaker would get in the hearse. They would drive to the graveyard. They'd do the burial. They'd drive back to town in the hearse. And one time they were on their way back from a funeral. And Ortberg's friend, whose name also happened to be John, was feeling quite tired. So he decided he would take a nap. And since they were in a hearse, he thought, why not? He laid down in the back of the hearse. It sounds kind of creepy, but it's true. And the guy who was driving the hearse pulled into a gas station. He was running low on gas. 
And the service, the gas station attendant came out and he was filling up the gas. He looks in the window and he sees this, this body laying there on his back, hands crossed, looked like he was dead. Kind of freaked him out, so he turned away and, and he was continued to fill the, the hearse with gas. And John wakes up, opens his eyes, knocks on the window and waves at the attendant. Can, can you imagine? He said, I've never seen anybody run so fast in my whole life. Because when people expect death and they find life instead, it shakes them up. They start running. Foundationals are the core of Christianity. Whatever you may think about it, Paul says, on the third day, Jesus woke up, opened his eyes, stepped out of the tomb and said, Mary, I'm alive. Peter, I'm alive. John, I'm alive. He saw hundreds of his followers were told in 1 Corinthians 15. And he said, I'm alive. And people started running and they started telling the news. And they haven't stopped running since and telling the news. And that's why Easter is a day of joy and celebration. Because death does not get the last word. Christianity cannot be just simply a set of values. It's not to be an abstract religion. It is the offer of a relationship with a real person, the resurrected Messiah. Jesus Christ was dead, Paul says, but now he's not dead. He's risen. That's a foundational truth. And we cannot be a Christian and not believe this. Romans 10.9 states it this way. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Paul says that will be on the final. So we know what's going to be on the final. We know what's important to believe. But it can't just be about knowing the information. I mean, you can know in college the material. They can, the professor can say, this is going to be on the final, but if you don't actually apply it and study it and learn it and do it, it doesn't do you any good, right, when the final comes. There's an application question that we all need to ask ourselves regarding the resurrection. Now what? What do we do with the resurrection? For a lot of people in our society, if you were to ask them about the resurrection and they were to be honest about it, they would say something like this. I'm not real sure uh, that the resurrection really happened. I understand it's part of our culture. Uh, Our culture observes it. I'll even observe it sometimes. But if I think I were going to be honest, I would have to say some sort of metaphorical kind of story or myth that helps us to to face difficult times and death. It's sort of a, a meta-narrative about hope, a symbol that spiritual writers use. And if that's the place where you find yourself this morning, then the next step in your spiritual journey might be to begin investigating. You know, we, Patty mentioned we have a book available called The Case for Easter by Lee Strobel. It's at the back of the doors. You can grab it on your way out. It's, it focuses on this whole issue of the um, historical facts regarding the, the resurrection. And uh, there's also a movie in the theaters called The Case for Christ. I saw it yesterday. It's well done, well presented. Uh, And a little bit about Lee Strobel. He's a Yale-educated former investigative journalist who won awards for the Chicago Tribune and worked there for many years. He was a devout atheist who was quite certain that all Christians were fuzzy-minded, soft-hearted people. And he had very little time for that sort of touchy-feely stuff. And then something happened in his life. His wife became a Christian, much to his uh, dismay. He felt that she was a really fun person before, that sort of a party girl and kind of a bait and switch deal, he thought, and he wasn't happy about it. But then something odd began to happen. 
He found that her joy factor, her, her love factor, kept going up as a result of her newfound faith. And so he thought, I need to investigate this to debunk it so I can get my old wife back. And so he interviewed medical doctors and historians and theologians and archaeologists. He went to church and talked to pastors. He did this for almost two years. And he focused in on the issue of the, of the resurrection because a friend of his said, if the resurrection is not true, then it's all a bunch of, it's not worth anything. But if it is true, then it's the most important thing ever. And so he focused on that issue. And as a skeptic, one of the biggest problems that he faced with the resurrection was this. If Jesus really did come and spend three years with his disciples, and when he was crucified, those disciples all ran away and hid, how were they then transformed into martyrs by the rotting carcass of a deluded madman if Jesus stayed dead? How is it that the disciples were all of a sudden willing to face imprisonment and suffering and death as a matter of historical record for what they knew to be a lie? Remember how they died? Peter was crucified upside down. Matthew was killed by the sword. James, the brother of Jesus, was beaten to death after he was thrown from the top of the temple in Jerusalem. The other James was beheaded. Nathaniel was whipped to death. James, uh, uh, Andrew was crucified. Thomas was speared to death. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Only John of all the disciples lived and died at an old age. But even he underwent severe persecution and suffering. Why would they die like that, Strobel thought? Why would not a single one crack to save his life? Why would they die like that for a myth, for a lie? And that question, with a lot of other things that he discovered, historical records of the manuscripts and so on and so forth, began to haunt him. And after 21 months of study and, and pursuit he finally accepted as true the two things that Paul says are of first most importance. Jesus died on the cross for our sins because there's no way we can bridge the gap. And secondly, Jesus rose from the dead and offers new life to all who believe. He found and discovered that the story of the resurrection is not just information that we need to know for the final. It has the power to change our lives for today and for eternity. And perhaps you're like Lee Strobel. You have questions and doubts. You're skeptical. I encourage you to investigate, to ask questions, to dialogue, to get the matter settled in your mind, in your heart. Or perhaps you're like Lee Strobel and you believe, but you never acted upon it. But wouldn't it be exciting if today, the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, be the day that you find life and come alive to God through faith in Christ? Wouldn't that be exciting? Wouldn't that be powerful and wonderful? So in light of this, Jesus died for our sins. Jesus was dead and buried, but was raised to life. In light of this, how will you respond? Let's go back to the question we began with. Are you ready for the final? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We're grateful for the truth of your word. And thought, Father, we thank you for um, the fact that Jesus Christ, um, as the scripture tells us, but also his, history supports, that Jesus was a real man who walked this earth, that he was crucified, and that three days later there was an empty tomb. Father, we believe that you raised your son from the dead. And we believe, Lord, that, that the most important things that we can know 
in this life and at the end of our life is that you died for our sins, Lord Jesus. And you rose again so that we could be risen to life as well. And so, Father, I just pray for each person here that they would settle their stance on this issue. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them and that they would put their trust in you and you alone. We thank you and we praise you. You are alive. Amen.